Hi, this is Rob Delaney, and you're listening to P.F. Tape Recorder. Hello there, I'm P.F. This is my tape recorder. Coming up, it's the return of Mark Marin. Does he miss the days at Air America being able to talk about politics? I think po- political comedy is very sort of limiting. And uh, it was never really my bag. I was always sort of a reactionary. We'll hear more from Mark in just a few minutes. A former executive director of the South Carolina GOP in some hot water over some tweets. Oh, it's a good one. But first, as always, fake news. And now fake news with me. The leak of a document on the Obama administration's drone strike policy as some people in Washington playing the what-if game. What if President George W. Bush's administration had written such a document on the legality of drone attacks, even on U.S. citizens working with suspected terrorists overseas? Joe Scarborough, the former Republican congressman from Florida who hosts MSNBC's Morning Joe, said that if this were the Bush administration, there would be, quote, congressional hearings and articles of impeachment. Yeah, because warrantless wiretapping and illegal war and war crimes are okay. You know what's funny, though, is uh, and not funny, ha-ha, is that these folks actually uh, overall have a point. This is some scary business. All right, back to the jokes. Virginia is apparently for haters of the Federal Reserve. One state legislature wants the state to mint its own coins in case the U.S. dollar collapses. Because you'll be able to spend Virginia money everywhere. The Memphis City Council has hurriedly renamed three Confederate-themed parks, including one named after the first Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan, to head off an effort by some state legislators to block such name changes. The council on Tuesday passed a resolution to immediately rename Confederate Park and Jefferson Davis Park in downtown Memphis and Nathan Bedford Forest Park, which lies just a few miles away. The vote was 9-0, to zero, with three members abstaining, although they didn't know exactly what that meant. The Iron's out and the Cat's in in Hasbro's latest update to its iconic Monopoly board game the company announced this past Wednesday. The company invited Monopoly fans to vote on which of its icons would be dropped in favor of a new one that is more representative of today's Monopoly players, Eric Nyman, Senior Vice President for Hasbro Games, said. All late players voted to have the Iron removed. Gays hoping to join the Boy Scouts will have to wait until at least May after the organization's executive board put off a vote on lifting its outright ban on openly homosexual scouts and troop leaders. Yeah, because that's keeping them out. And by the way, don't most other Boy Scouts think girls are icky? So, like, what's the difference? All right, Facebook follows you everywhere. It's on phones, it's on computers, at work and home and in the news. So it's understandable that people might need a little rest from the social network. New research suggests that Facebook fatigue may be setting in with some users. 27% of Facebook users surveyed in the U.S. plan to spend less time on the site in 2013 and spend more time with family and friends, reading and starting a Tumblr blog. Last Sunday's Super Bowl blackout dimmed the stock of the Superdome's electricity supplier Friday after Energy New Orleans took responsibility for the power failure, blaming it on a bad relay. Fox News blamed it on President Obama. A judge sentenced the leader of a breakaway Amish sect to 15 years in prison Friday in connection with a beard and haircutting attack on a fellow Amish. Sam Mullet Sr., uh-huh. And 15 members of his extended family were convicted of a conspiracy in some manner in the 2011 attacks on fellow Amish in eastern and northeastern Ohio with whom they had religious differences. Mullet will also have to pay restitution, get a manicure, and get his haircut in the style of his last name. 
Carl Rove says his super PAC will be lobbing more political bombs at Ashley Judd. The actress is exploring a Senate bid in Kentucky against a minority leader, Mitch McConnell, next year. Rove and his, his, Rove and his American Crossroads super PAC are already poking fun at her in an ad now running on the internet. This is the opening ad, Rove said Thursday night on a Fox News interview. She's not going to be able to wait until the screenwriters from California and the producers make her look good and give her lots of lines to memorize, he added as he took a break from hand-counting every ballot from Ohio. And that's been Fake News with me. Watch out, Rob Delaney. Jenny Johnson, high five. Alex Salkin, you've been put on notice. There's a new king of comedy on Twitter. Todd Kincannon, former executive director of the GOP in South Carolina, tweeting during the Super Bowl. And, um, well, I'll have uh, the lovely... Aliana Minkowski of Huffington Post Live read you what he said. And uh, says the Super Bowl sucks more D than adult Trayvon Martin would f- have for drug money. Oh, yeah. And that's not a fake account. That's a, a real guy. He was the real executive director of the real GOP in South Carolina, and he really tweeted that. So uh, he goes on this Huffington Post Live, which I'd never heard of before. Uh, apparently, not only does Huffington Post uh, let you write for free, but you can do a free talk show on there, too. All right. But anyway, um, actually, these two folks here, uh, this uh, Aliana Minkowski and Jacob Saberoff, uh, boy, they are the real deal, man. I think this guy thought he was going on, like, Meet the Press, and David Gregg would serve him a softball and say, oh, why'd you do that? Because I thought it was funny. Okay, next question, but we'll get to that in a second. Uh, first of all, let's hear his explanation. One of the things I like to do on Twitter is I'll tweet something that's inflammatory, kind of borderline crazy sounding. It's just, just for fun. And I enjoy watching people go nuts. And one of the best things about it is, is that if you say something that's borderline offensive or that is offensive, the people that attack you and say just the awfulest things about you they do the very thing that they accuse you of. The irony defense. Isn't it ironic? I said the stupid, ignorant thing, and now people want to kill me. Okay, yeah, that is, you, you shouldn't be throwing death threats at this guy, which is what people ended up doing, because, first of all, that's low rent. It's cheap. It's easy. And really, under the First Amendment, you're not allowed to do that, because we have limits. You can't yell fire in a crowded movie theater. You can't, you can't threaten people, okay? So anyway, and that, that worsens the discourse, and it kind of takes away from how ignorant he is. All right, so exhibit A. Here's the problem. If you're going to go with the irony defense, you have to have a strong setup. See, his setup is so offensive and outrageous and ignorant that there's no punchline in the world that can overshadow that. You know, not even the irony of people wanting to to do violence on him. All right. The other problem here is I don't think he understands how Twitter works. Have a listen. Stuff like that, and it, you know, it's it's. I guess you could call it kind of high-profile trolling, but but it definitely works. <laughs> So what he's saying is people saw this and reacted to it, even though they don't actually follow him, so that he considers that trolling. But I've got news for you, pal. First of all, you have 35,000 followers, shockingly. And secondly, if you comment on something that is a big trend, like the Super Bowl was that night, that's not trolling. It gets better. Now, remember, the punchline of this joke of his about the Super Bowl, of course, comes at the expense of an unarmed teenager who was shot to death. Let's hear what he has to say about that. Well, let me tell you the Trayvon Martin situation. It's a unique one, actually. Uh-oh. And let's be clear. People have said all manner of just ridiculously offensive, horrible things about um, about George Zimmerman. You mean the guy that shot the unarmed uh, teenager? And uh, even though he was told by the police not to follow him through the neighborhood? You mean that guy? 
um, NBC went and and cut the 911 tape up to make it appear as though... All right, but uh, sorry, sir, I'm just going to jump in here. Um, And that's the uh, co-host Jacob Sabrov jumping in. He doesn't take any of that sitting down and says that the tweet is so far past offensive that you can't even believe it. And, uh, of course, uh, you know, Kilcannon comes back uh, after Sabrov asks him, do you think a tweet about uh, a dead teenager is funny? You know, I think it's funny to make jokes that, that, that... enlighten people on political problems. Like, uh, you know, discussing the real victim here, which is the, uh, the, the armed, self-appointed neighborhood watch captain who shot an unarmed teenager. So Sabroff asks him again if he should be making jokes about a dead teenager, and, uh, and the hole just gets deeper. Well, I think you're drawing a poor distinction there between comedy and satire, sir. I think when you understand what satire is, you understand the purpose sometimes is to offend people to teach a lesson. Okay, let's reverse engineer that for a second here. First of all, he has no idea what satire is, because uh, satire is supposed to make a, a point humorously, and this tweet does neither, unless your point is no. The left has decided that Trayvon Martin was just this perfect little angel. You know, talk about Twitter. Go read Trayvon Martin's Twitter account. The guy was not a perfect little angel. He was a thug. He tweeted all about drug use. Okay, first of all, uh, that alleged Trayvon Martin Twitter account debunked by the Washington Post. It was bogus. It was complete bogus. Uh, Someone made it up. And number two, okay, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. You know, let's say he he was a bit of a delinquent, okay? Does he deserve to get shot to death carrying just a can of iced tea and Skittles while he's walking to his dad's house? No. I didn't politicize the Trayvon Martin affair. Well, not until Super Bowl Sunday, anyway. All right, so what do we do about this lunkhead? Well, you could do what I did, and uh, I, I'm following him on Twitter. What? Yes, I am, because as long as he isn't actually committing any uh, egregious acts of uh, violence against a, a people or, you know, uh, proposing legislation, you know, that is, is racist or bigoted, you know, then you need to drag these people out into the light and just see how they think. So I would advise you to follow him as well. Todd Kincannon, uh, Todd with two Ds, K-I-N-C-A-N-N-O-N, all one word. And uh, you'll find him instantly. And boy, it is just some scary, ignorant stuff in this guy's Twitter feed. But uh, that's that's how you you know uh, you know p- drag the bigots out into the light and expose them for what they are. And don't be giving them death threats because that's just you know that's low rent. Try to be clever, you know, in your responses. And um, I actually tweeted. Right after I followed him, I tweeted the beginning of this bit. Look out, Rob Delaney at Jenny Johnson, high five, and the Salk, which is Alex Salkin. There's a new king of Twitter comedy, at Todd Kincannon. And he followed me back, but he didn't retweet or favor, favorite my tweet. And he tends to do that with people even though they disagree with him. I guess because it gets some more attention, but you must be debating whether or not I'm screwing with him. So we'll see how that turns out. I will update you. And um, uh, speaking of satire... Hello? A PF? Todd Kincannon here. Thanks for having me on. Uh, no problem. How's it going? Ah, uh, been a rough week. Uh, what with getting death threats and all this over this tweet? Yeah, well, that is wrong. I was just explaining to folks uh, that the death threats uh, really aren't the way to go uh, in this situation. Oh, thank you, PF. See, now, see, you get it. These are just jokes that I'm tweeting. Well, I wouldn't go that far. Why not? Well, because jokes are supposed to be funny. What do you mean? A dead unarmed black kid? That's hilarious where I come from, shoot! Uh, yeah, see, I don't get it. It's satire, P.F., which you obviously don't understand. No, I get satire, but satire is supposed to make a point. I was making a point. 
that had Trayvon lived, he'd be turning tricks for drugs? Ha! <laughs> Goddamn, boy, it's even funnier when someone else says it. Hoo, doggy piff. Oh, by the way, what, what does PS stand for? Uh, Patrick Francois. Francois? Are you some kind of a frog? Yes, I'm half French. Huh. Well, I'm surprised you haven't surrendered yet. Ha 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 Yeah, I never tire of surrender jokes. Because they're funny, right? Ha! Well, I guess you don't understand sarcasm either. Huh? Uh, sorry, I'm tweeting something about being on your show here. Uh, uh, P.F.'s tape recorder stinks worse than the cheese he eats. Hmm, how can I make that more offensive? Uh, you're not colored, are you? Um, no. Yeah, I could tell by your voice. Uh, you don't sound like a homo, neither. Shoot. Hmm. Well, I'll make this really offensive and disgusting anyhow. Y'all y- have to take a shower after you read it. <laughs> but you won't because you're French. <laughs> I must be off, P.F. Mark Marin is not only an hilarious veteran stand-up comic, but he's also the host of one of the most popular podcasts in the world, WTF with Mark Marin, and it gets about 500,000 downloads a week. Yeah. And he's also struck a deal with the IFC cable channel. He'll be doing a program for them starting in May. You can watch a teaser for it on the IFC website. He's also doing some stand updates around the country in the meantime. And uh, he was very kind with his time and spoke to us for a few minutes. I, I left the whole interview in unedited just to kind of give you an idea of how busy he is and uh, just kind of the demands on his time. But again, also how nice he was uh, to speak to our little show again. So here's our interview with Mark Marin. Hey man, what's up? Nothing, man. What's up? Not much. Let me welcome you into the podcast here. We'll get rolling. Okay. All right. Joining us on PF's tape recorder is the return of Mark Marin. Mark, welcome back. Thanks, buddy. What's going on? Uh, not so much. Um, recording this kind of clandestine at my day job. Oh yeah, we're in a closet. That's the way to do. Almost. I'm in an empty office. <laughs> okay. So, um, well, the first thing, uh, you're coming to Cincinnati and to play Bogart, uh, a, a seminal rock club here in town, and that's kind of a different venue for you, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've done a few rock clubs. It's not, you know, it can, you know, it's it, sometimes they're tricky. Uh, hopefully they'll seat the place. I, I do have an issue with performing for people standing up, but I don't know what their plan is there. It's not, it's not my favorite type of venue, but uh, we'll see how it goes. I've done them before. It can be fine. Is your show any different at a rock club versus playing, say, Go Bananas across town here? I would hope not. I mean, you know, it's uh, hopefully the audience is there to see me, and hopefully there'll be a few people. I, I don't know how my tickets are selling. Um, but, uh, no, it, it, you're still going to get me. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, there's no pyrotechnics. You know, I don't, <laughs> you know, I don't have a drum riser or anything. There you go. Um, so when you started uh, WTF, did you kind of have an idea of, of what it was going to be uh, coming out of Air America? Because I know last time you were on, you gave us the backstory about, you know, how you snuck people up the elevator at the old Air America building. But... Did you know that you wanted to be this certain thing that it's become, or did it kind of just gradually morph into this? No, I, didn't, I had no expectations whatsoever, no idea what would happen, and we really didn't even have a format for the show. I just knew that I wasn't going to talk about politics anymore, and uh, and and the rest was just, uh, you know, we, we just decided we'd do it Monday and Thursday and figure out what happened. So initially it was sometimes two guests, sometimes a guest on the phone, sometimes I had my friend Matt sit there the whole show, and... You know, when I moved out to L.A., uh, there used to be a third act on the show where we'd have a fake guest or a bit. 
and then it just evolved into an interview show and, and sort of, you know, became what it is now. I, I, I didn't have a plan at all. Do you miss talking about politics or do you just kind of get worn out after the whole Air America experience? No, I don't, I don't, I don't miss it at all. You know, it's a narrative that you have to keep up on. And, and if it's something that you're driven by, I mean, if it's something that interests you in that way, that compulsive way necessary to stay abreast of the situation, uh, then, you know, you, you get off on it. Uh, you know, I became a little disillusioned and, and I, and I certainly thought it was, um, a little, uh, it's, it's sort of damaging to be partisan exclusively as a standup without sort of balancing it out and looking beyond the politics, uh, you know, into the real issues at hand. Um, and I decided that was more compelling for me is to sort of explore, you know, what I was feeling and what my challenges were as opposed to, you know, kind of driving my anger towards politics. And I think, well, plus a lot of people now, especially through WTF, can kind of identify uh, kind of with your, you know, who you are on stage. And certainly I can, just being a little bit younger than you, that, you know, where you, where you are in life and where you've been and you know, where you're going, you've got a lot of great experience behind you. And you can really kind of translate that into some good comedy. I think that's a, that's what a comedian should do. I think po political comedy is very sort of limiting. And uh, it was never really my bag. I was always sort of a reactionary. So Air America, for me, was not like, finally, I get to talk about politics. It was, you know, sort of finally, maybe I can learn about politics and, uh, you know, be more of a reactionary than I was before. And then, you know, it just becomes a little tedious after a while, you know, yeah. because you, you, you don't, you, you can't help but service a narrative that is not your own and and yeah. you know eventually you know you kind of lose sight of what you really feel and think it's uh it's weird because you know after the election is where i kind of got just completely worn out on the things although i'll still um hold on one second uh, sure, sure. can we oh yeah All absolutely right. hello yeah hey buddy is there any way we can do this in like in 10 minutes yeah, please. Thanks. Sorry, buddy. That's okay. You're a busy man. Well, I mean, they lined up a lot of interviews, and they <laughs> didn't give me enough time between them. Yeah. Because I, you know, I blabber on. Sure. Um, so, are, uh, speaking of, are, are, of blabbering on, are people still as willing to be open on WTF, or do they know when they're coming in that this is it's going to be kind of a, a deep read? As they say I, on NPR. Look, I, I, you know, I never established that as, uh, uh, as what was needed on the show. I mean, it's happened. You know, people are going to come in and do whatever they're going to do. Some of them sort of girder up for something or, or, or know what they want to talk about at this point because of the, the popularity of the show. But you know, look, I'm open. I'm, I don't expect people to cry or, or reveal <laughs> their darkest secrets. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, if it happens, it happens. I, yeah. I don't, you know, yeah. I, obviously, still, people are still very candid. If you listen to the. Uh, Lucinda Williams interview or the Michael Keaton interview. I mean, you know, it's all, it's really just a matter of, of, you know, relaxing the public persona and, and sort of just having a real talk. You know, it's not, I, I don't, I don't require anything. It's not therapy. It's uh, it's almost become this thing. Cause I hear other podcasters kind of joke about it when their interviews start to go a little deep. They say, oh, we're going to do like a Mark Maron thing now. And either the guest or the, you know, host will bring it up. So it's kind of interesting. That's kind of inserted itself uh, Good. in the podcast. Good. I, well, yeah. fine if that's what they need to call it, as opposed to just having an emotional <laughs> conversation. You know, I'll take it. Sure. I didn't invent it, and I'm glad to, it's provoking people to do that. I mean, it's something people can do, and it's a, it's kind of an exciting part about being a person is to have those kind of conversations. Yeah, and um, so are, are there people that you're that are still on your wish list to, to get on the show? Yeah, always. Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of comedians I haven't 
really been able to get at and a lot of few actors you know i mean will you know i like to robert smigel uh carell will uh, Farrell, uh yeah. john c Riley would be fun oh yeah uh, Jonah Hill would be fun. Iggy Pop, I'd like to talk to. Bob Newhart. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people I'd like to talk to. Uh, one on my wish list for the, for uh, WTF, Emo Phillips. Yeah, I talked to him. He didn't want to do it. So like, Yeah, he, I, I'm not surprised. <laughs> yeah, I mean, until he sort of changes his, yeah. you know, he just doesn't want to he doesn't want to. He wants to stay in character. So exactly. I, I mean, I don't, yeah. Well, I don't want to talk to that character for right. An hour. Exactly. Well, I interviewed him uh, a couple of times over the phone in the past couple of years. Now we just do it by email because you know I just feel that's what he wants. That's fine. But um, toward the very end of one of our interviews, the uh, the character went away for just a few minutes. You know, it's kind of like a science fiction kind of thing where the you know the shield came down and and I got to talk to the real emo for a few minutes and it was very interesting. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Uh, you know, I don't know what he's holding on to or, you know, who he thinks he's going to disappoint. You know, it's just, uh, you know, it's like it's up to him. You know, yeah, it's, yeah. I don't think anyone at this point in time is going to be like, oh, I had no idea that that was what was behind there. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, he's, you know, it's it's obviously a personal choice based on on a personality thing. It's you know, it's not like the world is going to be shocked. Yeah. Um, so how's the IFC show coming? I saw a teaser for it the other day, a very brief teaser. On, uh, How'd that look? Uh, it looked pretty good. It made me more curious, though. Maybe that was the point. <laughs> I guess that's the, the very nature of what of, a teaser is. Of a teaser is at the very heart of it. Yeah, you nailed yeah. it. Um, I didn't see it. I I, uh, I think it looks great. You know, we're, we're, we're almost done with the editing, and I got to go in today and do a, a little voiceover stuff, and I got to do, uh, we just reshot a couple of things and so you know it's done you know it's it's in the final phases and you know it doesn't look like any other show and it's That's definitely cool. earnest and funny and uh compelling and personal and you know it's it's me uh and i you know I, i'm pretty thrilled it was my first real experience you know doing a television show and, and um and and i feel i feel pretty good about it um, in the in the teaser, you're uh, saying how you you know you have the voice inside your head saying don't screw it up, don't screw it up. But I mean, yeah. is, is the pressure the same as it would have been, uh, you know, a couple of years ago? Or now that you have the WTF behind you, are you a little more relaxed and, and have a little more confidence because you know you've got something that's you know this thing behind you that people can yeah yeah with? personally I am you know but you know sort of once you get into a different level where you have an opportunity you know you're going to do the best you can with that opportunity you know and and however that turns out. Uh, is going to be what it's going to be. All you can do is show up for work and do the best you can in the situation that you're in. Now, you know, the issue then becomes, well, how do I make it better? And am I going to get an opportunity to do that? Look, I, I always have the podcast and, and, and certainly I feel more confident and uh, more grounded in, in myself because of, you know, the, the popularity of the podcast and because it's sort of validating in that yeah, I'm putting myself out there in, in a very genuine way as far as I'm concerned and people are responding to that. But, yeah, the big fear is, OK, here's a new format, a new medium. There's a lot of other people involved. You know, I'm working with writers and directors and, you know, and, and sort of um, not losing myself or getting freaked out. I, you know, I just sure showed up and did the best I could. Uh, but the big fear becomes you know, I was talking to my friend. Sam Lipside, who's a brilliant writer, I said to him, I said, look, you know, my big fear is that I got a book coming out in April. I got a show coming out in, in May and that, you know, people are you know, that I'm going to be revealed somehow and people are, are, are not going to like it. And Sam said, oh, yeah, I know what you mean. Like you're going to be, you know, found out to be the fraud that you uh, that you think you are. And I'm like, no, 
I, I, my fear is that I'll, I'll, I'm going to be found out to be exactly who I am, and that's <laughs> not going to be enough. I wish I were a fraud. I wish that was my default. That would be a, a luxury to me. Huh. That, yeah, because uh, that would be a narrative of its own. Yeah. Do you think that the uh, you know the way that with you know uh, things like you know Funny or Die and of course the podcasting universe that we're in has has kind of changed the the Hollywood machine and New York machine in a way, or is it still pretty much the same thing it was when you were first trying to pitch ideas and first get ideas sold out there? I think it's it's changed in the sense that you can become visible without the gatekeeper's consent. So, you know, you can sort of put yourself out in the world and have something to show for yourself and people can see it without being invited to show it or setting up a meeting to show it or being on a showcase to show it. So, you know, creatively, uh, you have a lot more power in putting things out into the world. And if someone goes, what do you do? You can say, well, you can listen to this podcast or you can go watch this thing on Funny or Die or go to YouTube. So, you know, the access is different. I mean, you know, still it is what it is. You know, the gatekeeper, you know, ultimately, you know, you can build a business on your own with your talent uh, and persistence, uh, you know, if, if people want it. Uh, but, you know, to be sort of, you know, kind of ordained or baptized or knighted to a, a level of uh, pop culture success or mainstream success, it seems that, you know, you still need the, uh, the backing of, 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 um, of, of, of an industry. Uh, but then, you know, you run into other problems, which is like, well, what compromises do I have to make? Um, do I have to hold that up? Uh, why am I wearing these <laughs> shoes? Uh, I don't like these writers. So it really depends. It's always some sort of Faustian deal once you enter the world of the gatekeepers. But uh, to answer your question, I think there's, you know, there's a lot more potential to uh, put what you do out into the world and have it seen, you know, without it being sort of sanctioned. Do you think we've reached the point, um, you know, I have a, a background in alternative music, you know, and, and radio and stuff like that, and, and then, of course, there's, I guess, for the term we're all tired of, alternative comedy, but is this that kind of the dream of, of those kind of artists that where the inmates are finally running the asylum? Yeah, I know, but, you know, the inmates can run the asylum, but, you know, you know, somebody's got to pay for food, yeah. and, you know, eventually bills are going to come up, you know, the asylum you know, needs hot water, so, you know, how, how anybody makes a business out of this or if your dream you know is to express yourself and then be you know rewarded for it or, or be able to make a living out of it that still is the big trick isn't it yeah that's the thing because you know they, they tell you well, if you're going to start a podcast don't don't even think about making money for a year and uh you know that's and that's cool and you know i may or may, may not make money at this someday but um you know the fact that every week i do feel compelled you know to, to talk to a comedian you know and also do a dumb bit and write my little fake news jokes and things like that so i think it's probably provided for a lot of people just a, a hope of some people seeing your you know either your photography or your funny videos or your you know the funny things you have to say yeah yeah i mean i absolutely i mean and, and that's great you know like with somebody like me you know like i haven't had a job since 1988 so yeah and, and you know when when i'm in when you're in my situation where you've lived your life as a performer or an artist for you know more than half my life for better or for worse you know i've gone broke a couple of times and i've been in trouble but you, you know the the stakes become sort of you know, disturbingly high when you get to a certain age and you're like there's i can't there's no plan b yeah you, know, you have that moment in your life where you're like well, screw this. I could always, and then you're just sort of like, wow, 
what, did I delete that file? There used to be a <laughs> few other options. So, yeah. so I, I don't know how, how desperation and the stakes of, 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 you know, your life, you know, play into the success or failure of anything. But, but, uh, yeah, there, you know, that, that's really the difference, uh, in terms of like, you know, if you can do it comfortably and have a good time at it and, you know, have a job and, you know, you're okay and, you know, things are sort of balanced out, you might be a little disappointed, but it's not killing you. Uh, you know, that, that's a nice place to be. <laughs> and like you said, within the, in the, when you're talking to Tom Kenny, uh, back in the fall that, you know, there are a lot of people that, you know, work in show business that have, it's just a regular job. It isn't like, you know, there are people writing on Disney Channel and starring even on shows. They're just oh just, yeah, just, dude. Just... When I when comics you know ask me you know, gosh, this thing this guy's calling again. When comics ask me, you know, um, uh, what, what do you want to do? Yeah, I got to take this. You want it? You want to call? Yeah. Let me call. I'll call you back and we'll finish it. Okay, bye, cool. Man. All right. All right. Bye. Hello. Thanks again to Mark Marin for being on the show. And uh, the only other question I had for Mark, and I didn't really want to have to have him call me back for it, it was kind of a rhetorical question, is that it just seemed that things are coming together for that guy uh, right now. And I'm not sure he would have had the same kind of career had, uh, I don't know if you know the backstory, but he was considered back in the 90s for uh, hosting Weekend Update on Saturday Night Live. It didn't work out. But um, I'm thinking he's in a better place now anyway. He's got uh, the podcast, which is awesome. He's got that sweet gig with the, the IFC show. He's touring and putting butts in the seats now in clubs. So uh, things are really working out. Now, uh, speaking of putting butts in the seats, you can see Mark Marin in Cincinnati on February 14th. He is at Bogarts, the Seminole Rock Club there in town. He's at the Capitol Theater in Columbus on the 15th in Vancouver, B.C. for two nights, February 16th and 17th at the Vancouver Comedy Festival. For all the rest of his dates, just go to WTFPod.com. It'll also have all the episodes for the podcast and uh, all things Mark Marin. Uh, will be found there. All right. Uh, I may or may not have a date February 12th uh, at the Varsity in Cincinnati doing trivia. Uh, tell you what, go to the PF Tape Recorder page on Monday evening or PF Trivia Live, which is the actual Facebook page for the trivia operation, and uh, we'll fill you in from there. I was a guest on the Big Pretty podcast. That is... Uh, of course, uh, our friend Big Pretty's podcast, it drops on Wednesdays. I think just go to bigpretty.com, and you can catch up on his past episodes, and the episode I'm on maybe will turn up on Wednesday or Thursday, uh, so we can all enjoy that together. Um, a funny story real quick, uh, Rock Solid Podcast, you've heard me mention them before. Do listen to them if you like music and you like comedy, which is kind of what we do here. Uh, they do it a whole different way, and it's really awesome. So just go to, just Google uh, Rock Solid Podcast, and it'll pop right up. Uh, funny story, I was on Facebook just kind of goofing off, and uh, Pat Francis, one of the hosts of the show, put on his personal page, you know, oh, guess who we have, you know, a uh, special guest for our show. Today we're doing live in San Francisco, and I just guessed somebody. And he messaged me and said, ah, you're right, please take that down. And, and I figured San Francisco, I took a shot. I won't tell you who it is because our episode probably isn't going to drop until at least Thursday if they're going to run that uh, in this week's show. So uh, I just thought that was funny. And let me see. Oh, and one final update on this um, uh, Kill Cannon deal. Uh, since I put the bit together and I'm recording the end here a couple hours later, uh, end of the show, uh, a couple of people have followed me that are of, I would say, Kill Cannon's uh, mindset. And I, either they must have seen the tweet I had about him being funnier than uh, Rob Delaney, and they must have thought I was serious. So I'll let you know how that goes uh, in future episodes and, and also on the Facebook page, which is, uh, of course, PF Tape Recorder and Facebook. Follow me on Twitter at PF66. 
Music performed and composed by John Veropoulos and Doug O'Connor with a little help from me, the logo designed by Dan Kobo. Follow him at TigerDactyl on Twitter. And uh, that is all the business we have for this week, other than to say so long and thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>